0: findability. Having your business get found online, having it rise to the top of search results or being found at all is the holy grail of internet marketing. Now, if you're frustrated because you spent a lot of money on a really beautiful website, but it's not performing, it's not bringing any business, you're going to love today's guests. She's internet marketing guru and author of Marketing Espionage, Heather Lutzey.
1: This is Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hassel Kelchner, giving you the inside scoop on how to ignite more business success by doing the right things in the right way. Brought to you by Business MO LLC.
0: Heather Lutze helps businesses get found on the internet, and more specifically, she helps companies improve their results and increase sales through paid search and organic search optimization. I know, that's a mouthful, right? But she's a nationally recognized internet marketing speaker and consultant on search strategies with more than 10 years of hands-on management experience in pay-per-click, search engine optimization, and landing page testing. She also has a fabulous startup story. She broke free from the corporate cubicle farm jobs well over 10 years ago with nothing more than a dream of entrepreneurship and a basement computer. And then she built that dream into a multi-million dollar Denver SEM company, the Findability Group. Now, before you think Heather is just another search engine guru wannabe, think again. Heather has serious skills. She spent three years training advertisers, In paid search techniques for Yahoo search marketing. She's a member of the National Speakers Association, a sought after Vistage International speaker, and she's shared the stage with Tony Robbins Business Mastery in Fiji and London. And yes, she's even been on Oprah. With her many speaking engagements, I am so thrilled she was able to find time in her busy schedule to join us. So I'm not going to waste another nanosecond on introducing her. Let's bring her on now. Welcome to Business Confidential Now, Heather. Well, thank you
1: so much. i excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you here. You have been helping businesses <laughs> improve their web presence for quite some time now. What's the most important yes. thing, in your opinion, that a non-techie needs to know about search engine marketing?
1: I think, honestly, from my perspective and knowing the years that I've been doing this business is that I think just having a website by itself and hiring a designer and building it like that's just going to be the ticket and it's the color and it's the layout and it's, you know, it's it's just, you know, I've seen hundreds of businesses that build these gorgeous, very expensive websites that are absolutely unfindable and they're totally based on how the business owner sees how they want to be found, how they want to market unique selling propositions, unique everything. And I always say unique is the, is the enemy of findability. And that's really what happens is that you forget about the audience who needs to find you because you're so wrapped up in how to market your own business. And I think that's the thing that I, I think I see the most pain and the most money is lost is that we have this false understanding of what a website needs to do for you.
0: Now that's really interesting. You, you said that uniqueness is the enemy of findability. Can you explore with that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, I think in marketing, traditional marketing, right, we come up with unique selling propositions. We come up with unique taglines and slogans and coined phrases that we trademark. And all of these things, albeit creative and interesting, are not part of the common lexicon or the common way that people think. And you can't change the way people think. And when they turn to a search engine or they turn to... Anything that lets them search, YouTube, is the number two search engine on the internet. So it doesn't matter really where you go to Google. You Google it in a number of different environments. But the bottom line is they're going to Google what they know, what they understand. And they could care less about how you set up your marketing propositions, how you've designed your website, and what your unique selling advantage is, and how long you've been in business. None of that matters to the searcher. It's all about them, what they need at the moment, and then whatever pain they're experiencing when they go to do a search. If you speak their language, you create content that answers that question, then you are the most findable business, not the one that has the most unique creative logo or selling proposition.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So mm-hmm. now when a business comes to you, Heather, and says, Heather, I'm mm-hmm. just not getting any traffic to my website. It's a gorgeous website. Mm-hmm. It's as you described. It's got all these other little little things and how you know a business wants to be perceived. But you know, they're right. crickets. Nobody's coming there. What's the first thing you look at in terms of your process in helping a a business understand why they're not being found?
1: Right, right. Well, what we do, we kind of look at it three different layers. Number one is how does Google currently see you from a technology standpoint? Does it trust you at a technical level? The next level is the content. What's the content about? How does it portray you as an expert in your space? And how are you building that authority over time? whether it's from your website, your blog, or your social engagement. And then the final one is who cares? But that's the level of social media. Like, do they like, do they follow, do they subscribe, do they comment? It's that chain, if you will, starting from the website to the blogging to the social engagement that is is key here. And if you have a website that says about us, services, testimonials, contact us in the top level navigation, that is a sales brochure. It is not a thought leadership platform. And Google was founded on indexing research term papers on Stanford campus. Okay. So professorship content. And I think that we forget we're so eager to market and sell that we forget about the fact that we are supposed to be experts first and salesmen second, not the other way around.
0: So how would a business go about establishing themselves in the eyes of Google or Mm -hmm. another search engine as thought leaders?
1: Right. Well, the first thing is to really use search marketing. When, you, when you're working with, with web designers, the first thing that should happen is a conversation around how people are searching, what phrases are they using, what compels them to take action when there's problems in their lives, when there's something not quite right. I always tell my clients that they turn to Google not because they're thrilled or because they're happy necessarily. They're investigating, they're discovering. They want more additional information. And whoever shows up, on the first page of, of a search engine or a YouTube channel or, uh, you know, a Facebook post or LinkedIn, right? They're all search engines. So what's key here is not so much your beautiful website, it's are you tapped into the mindset of your ideal buyer? And the great thing about search marketing, which is why I love it so much, is that we have all these amazing tools to be able to access mindset. So we know definitively, do they search this way or do they search that way? So a great example this would be when I was working with A company recently, I was speaking with them on the phone, and they they were talking about unproductive. Well, we want to rank for unproductive. Well, if you Google unproductive, you actually get unproductive costs. You don't get unproductive work or work environment. You get a cost. So oftentimes, there's a very big misunderstanding between what the mindset of the searcher is versus the mindset of the business owner and how they want to be found. So what
0: kind of research can a business owner do in order to get a better understanding of the mindset? Because I I can see that there Mm -hmm. would be a disconnect sometimes between how people think they're being found or want to be found and what people are really searching for. So what's the best way for them to get Mm -hmm. in the heads of these prospects when they don't Mm -hmm. exactly have the name and phone number to call them up and say, hey, prospect, what are you thinking, (laughs) right? Well, we used to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on focus groups. Remember that? Right, um, right. But those days
1: have really evolved. I mean, if you if you just go to Google and just start typing anything in, right? What is? Who is? Where are? You'll see a drop down that comes. It's called predictive search. It's trying to guess what you know or what you want. Now, if you choose one of those drop downs, um, you can scroll all the way to the bottom, and there's like this little group of searches. It says searches related to, and that is like a little micro what I call keyword focus group. So those six or eight phrases that are directly related to what you just searched is the mindset of that keyword, okay, which is, you know, connected, of course, to a human search. But if you're looking at, if I'm an expert on, I've got a client who sells bulk bamboo toothpicks. (laughs) Yes, I have a glamorous life. Um, (laughs) And they are the biggest manufacturers of bamboo toothpicks in the U.S. And they were optimizing for the word picks, P-I-C-K-S. Which sounds reasonable, but picks. When you put it into Google, you get guitar picks, and then if you go to Google Images, you get guitar picks and you get hair picks and you get mining picks. So it's like, oh, okay. Well, you mean it's not just toothpicks? That's how we think of it, right? Right. And then, yeah. So it, what happens is, if you don't, if you Google picks and you scroll to the bottom, they would have seen that it's all guitars and mining equipment they would have known instantly that they should have used the word toothpick. But because they wanted to be creative, unique, and different, they went with the word pick. And then they named their business Pick On Us. Oh, wow. Pick On Us, the name of their business, actually ranks for bullying websites. Oh. Do you see the problem?
0: Yeah, unintended consequence. Wow.
1: Unintended, yes. And it's not by their fault. They just... You're so myopic in how you think about when you're building your business and that you don't really take a moment to say, okay, how does the outside world really need me versus how am I going to sell myself to the world? And I think that's where the intersection of marketing and search marketing becomes really compelling because you can take all the search data, find a good search person who understands keyword tools. And if you don't, just go to Google, Google that phrase, scroll all the way to the bottom and see if that's the neighborhood you want to move into. I would say, wouldn't it be great to know your neighbors before you moved into your cul-de-sac, right? You don't know who your neighbors are. You hope for the best. Sometimes that works. (laughs) Sometimes they have couches on their front porch, right? So you just don't (laughs) know what you're really going to get, okay? So I say, Google your neighborhood, scroll to the bottom. If you want to move in there, then you'll know instantly whether that's the right place for you to be or not. And that's the very simplest way I can tell your listeners to understand the mindset of a searcher. It's right there in front of you. It has been the entire time. Are there fancier tools? Absolutely. But that is the easiest, quickest tool at their disposal.
0: Easiest and quickest. I like that, especially since we have listeners that are small businesses or in a startup mode, so they don't have huge budgets.
1: You're right. And they have to be they have to be nimble and they have to be willing to not do the traditional marketing route. You know, yeah. don't you know I see people that, you know, spend so much money on on logos and Website design and, and it's just it's all unfindable and it just makes me cringe because if I, if I can just get in on the front side of that conversation, everything changes. The domain is not about them. The domain is about what people search, the domain name. The, the, the website content is about what people want, not the way in which we want them to read it. The look and feel is a common conventions that are already established based on common reading behavior. We read left or right. We expect certain things to be in certain places. But these design firms come in and say, let's do something different. You know, let's take the logo completely off. Let's hide the phone number in the footer in 10-point font. And let's like <laughs> them hunt to contact you. It's like a scavenger hunt. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's true. People want so, yeah, to it, find you. It's frustrating you. for me. Yeah, It's frustrating because, you know, I see all the same mistakes happening over and over and over again. And I've sort of made it my mission with Findability University, which is the company I now run, um, after I sold my agency, I decided, you know what, I'm going to train business owners and the marketing teams to do this themselves because clearly there's a there's a huge problem between what we think we need, what people will sell us, and what we actually should be doing. And there's just no way to learn unless, you know, it's hard knocks, right? You spend a bunch of money. And I had one guy in one of my sessions say, great, I just spent $100,000 on an unfindable website. And wow. then he went off and fired his web designers. Yeah. I get well, a lot of web designers hired.
0: You know, it's it's <laughs> interesting. I mean, it's a dilemma because, you know, most people do rely mm-hmm. on, you know, a, a local website designer, uh, you know, sure. someone who says they have SEO experience. But then when the website mm-hmm. doesn't perform, they, like you said, they're disappointed. They've spent a ton of money sometimes. And they beat, when, up, the
1: yeah, they beat up the web designers.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: So uh-huh. when mm-hmm. somebody yeah. is
0: is looking to hire a, a web design firm because they're not going to get involved. There's so many learning curves involved with that that they have something else to do. Right. That's not the best use of their talent. You're right. So, mm-hmm. what should they be looking for to make sure they're really getting a website mm-hmm. that performs? Because they don't speak SEO language, yeah. they don't speak your language, and and somewhere right. there there needs to be sort of an intersection between the findability and so that you don't look like a commodity website that everybody else has.
1: Right. Yeah, no, I, I hear you. It's kind of like going in and questioning your mechanic about how to fix your car. Yeah. right. You, don't, you didn't study how to fix cars. Right. But you did go to Yelp, and you did check out their reviews. And you probably went to their website and checked out whether they looked like they're credible, and maybe even called some of their references to find out if they did a good job fixing the car. But, you know, you have to do your due diligence. You have to understand the, the, the common misconceptions around how to build a site, Web designers build what they know and they replicate that over and over and over, okay? It's like any other business. They're not making, you know, pieces of art one site at a time. If you're going to do that, then you're going to spend $100,000 plus on your site. And so web designers do what they know and they replicate that over and over and over. So what I always tell clients is just take a breath. Don't go right into web design because you'll get caught up in the colors and the logo and it's not about that yet. You have to do some intelligence, like what are my competitors ranking for? Um, You can, and you you know, there's a great tool that we use called SpyFu and S-P-Y-F-U. And you can go in, you can put your competitor in there, see what they rank for. Get their keywords first. They've probably spent money on those phrases, I'm pretty sure. So someone who is small, who's nimble, who's like a startup or someone who's really trying to build a business, how great would it be to learn from the money that your competitors have already invested into their marketing?
0: Well this is and the perfect is mm-hmm. yes, I'm yeah. just gonna say this is the perfect segue into mm-hmm. your most recent book, which I just yeah. love the title of Marketing Espionage mm-hmm. How to Spy on Yourself, Your Prospects, Your Competitors to Dominate Online. Well, that is such a fascinating title and you've sort of, you know, <laughs> triggered it by talking about spy foo and being able to see what your competitors are doing um, or the the space that you want to be in. So tell Mm -hmm. me about what this book brings to the party that some of your others, because I know you've written several other books. I mean, you are the person who's written the book on this subject, period, full stop. Uh, What does this one do? Three of them. (laughs) Three of them, yeah, exactly. Three of them, painfully. (laughs) I understand. So Um, what does this one do that the others didn't?
1: You know, I think this is sort of the look back at at all the learnings that I've had with my clients over the years and all of the the technical jargon and all of the frustration and all of the, you know, anger and all the, really the snake oil that surrounds my business, search marketing or SEO, they like to call it search engine optimization. I actually call it findability because it's a much bigger concept, right? It's first of all, understanding that there are some fabulous tools that only search marketing people know that I want to bring to the public. I want them to be able to feel comfortable using it, not just the search marketing nerds. And then by understanding how to use some of these tools, they can set up a strategy of findability. And it's not even findability. It's it's more of an evolution of, like I said, mindset. I used to call it the psyche of the searcher. If you understand the psyche, right, you understand what motivates them, why they buy, what the pain is. These are traditional marketing things. I didn't invent those. Right. But if you can really tap into those first And check out your competitor. Why does that guy rank one and two? What are they doing? Let's go and run reports on those sites and use the data that we collect to build a strategy moving forward from there.
0: Okay. So when you talk about spying on yourself, your prospects, or competitors, how Mm -hmm. do you then use that information to dominate online?
1: Yeah. So the first
0: one, find yourself, is there's a couple of really great what we call grader
1: tools because Google's not going to rank you if it doesn't trust you if your site's not technically sound. So I use a couple of sites. I use marketinggrader.com, which is a tool by HubSpot, but it does give you an it gives you a it gives you a test of what a robot how a robot would interpret the technical quality of your site. That's number one. Is it technically sound? Do I trust it? So that's a marketing grader. It's also another tool called WooRank, like wooram dot com. You can run one report. It'll give you a very detailed technical analysis with all of the red, all the red check marks that you need to go back and talk with the geek in your life and have them fix first. That's number one. So either marketing grader or woo rank. That's spying on yourself, what currently exists. Level two is then to take a look at, okay, now that I understand what I need to fix with my own presence, now I need to go out and say, okay, what's really working in the marketplace? When I Google certain phrases that I feel like are valuable to me, who is there? And what can I learn from them? So there's a couple tools that I use that you can run, SpyFu being one of them, SPYFU.com. You can just load your competitor site right up into the search, in, right into their tool, and it will give you all the keywords that they rank for. It'll tell you if they run page search. It'll tell you how long they've had the domain. It'll tell you how many phrases they rank under and which ones work and which ones don't. So these tools have been around forever, but they've been, I think, closely held secrets by search marketers because, you know, it's, it's in the confusion that the money really is made. And I like really taking the confusion away and saying, look, these tools are right there for you. And, you know, we've named businesses based on that data. We've bought domains based on that data. Uh, we do product lines and, and, and product naming from that data. So there's a lot of really good data to be had from those tools, as well as you can turn those tools on yourself Right? You can take SpyFu and put your domain in there and see exactly what you've been paying for all these years from the whatever search provider or SEO company you're currently working for. And that can be very, very enlightening.
0: Definitely, definitely. Are these tools expensive?
1: Mm-hmm. No, most of these are free. Uh, Marketing Grader is free. U-Rank will let you run one report for free. Um, SpyFu has a free, uh, free part of their tool. Or you can sign up for a free 90-day trial. Also another tool that I'm absolutely crazy about is SEMrush and it's uh, s sam edward michael rush r u s h.com and you can go right to the competitor website you put your domain name right in there or a competitor domain and it'll get spit out a bunch of data about that site for absolutely no cost.
0: That sounds fabulous. Now, if if you're a listener and you're in the car right now listening to this, or someplace that's not at your desk where you're jotting these down, don't worry. Come over to businessconfidentialradio.com because on this episode page we will have links to these. So don't worry. That plus, not to mention the (laughs) link to "Marketing Espionage: How to Spy on Yourself, Your Prospects, and Your Competitors to Dominate Online," because this book definitely sounds fabulous. Fabulous. Um, well,
1: thank you. It's been a. What they say it took me a whole g- career to be an overnight success, right? So, well. <laughs> um, this book is is the culmination of, of so many learnings and so much pain that I've seen my clients go through from other other you know other bad relationships they've had with other SEO firms. And I'm like, you know what? Just take control back. It's not that difficult. We just need to have the right guidance, and that's what Findability University does. Is we do you know coaching and workshops and trainings. So that people can take that control back you know they don't have to rely on 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 uh, complicated code and you know i'm sorry but there are some people that are able to explain that really well and some that are not and typically you know it it the coders and the people who build websites are not those people so it's just it's one of those things where there's a big chasm i think between understanding from a coding perspective what needs to get done and then on the other side understanding what do we say who do we want to find? Who needs to find us? That has nothing to do with how the website is built. And I think that's the big, the big problem with the whole search marketing industry is that they don't even care. They just go and build a website and stuff it with a bunch of keywords and hope for the best. And it just, just does not work that way.
0: And that's why there's so many people frustrated with their websites. They don't know what they don't know. So I am delighted that you are shedding a light yet that you're pulling up the curtain behind the wizards of Oz here. (laughs) So and, and I like to think of it
1: f- as opening the kimono.
0: Yes, <laughs> opening the, the kimono. Day, like, yeah, you know they
1: open the kimono. Thank you for that. I'm like, okay,
0: touche, <laughs> <laughs> touche. <touché>. Um, <laughs> most small businesses don't have an internet marketing guru on staff. So, mm-hmm. what advice do you have for them to help them from getting ripped off and spending lots of money? What, what mm. kinds of questions should they be asking? <laughs> because it's true, somebody starts doing the tech speak. It's intimidating, it's overwhelming, and you know we mm-hmm. want to rely on these experts and consultants that we use. So h- how yeah. do we not get bamboozled?
1: I, I think that, first of all, don't hire your cousin or a relative to build a website. <laughs> don't hire the person that's fresh out of college to build something that's so absolutely critical to your bottom line. And I think that when you, when you assign things to people that have the least amount of experience you end up getting a very poor result. And I usually, I see a lot of startups do this. They know someone's, you know, second cousin's aunt or whatever, and they could build a website because they did one on, on you know, WordPress this one time. And I see a lot of people, because they feel the pain of the, of the investments, they take these huge shortcuts. And in the long run, when they look back, they're like, you know what? We lost thousands and thousands of dollars because we weren't able to get to market fast enough because of all the pain that we went through trying to build the site. So number one is hire someone, check their references, make sure those sites are findable and that you like how they look and that you can, you can control them from the back end. If you want to log in and change your website and make tor- corrections to it, you need to make sure that you have those, uh, that agenda or that checklist created before you sit down and start interviewing developers. So you can say, I want a website I can manage myself. I want somebody who really understands findability and the way people search. And I want to build a website around how people search. And then we'll worry about how it looks. So I think that's just some of the core things that you want to think about is what am I asking the right questions up front? And, and what, what am I jumping in too quickly? Am I, am I jumping in too fast into the look and feel? Because that's the fun part, right? That's the, that's the fun is, ooh, where do we put the logo? and Ooh, where do we put the colors? And, oh, look, that, that video spins and then comes back in. You know, none of that matters. And you can have a gorgeous, unfindable site. And spend a lot of money on it. And then everyone's really frustrated and they feel defeated. And, And so I just, you know, that's why I do what I do is making sure that people understand what exactly they need to know and what they don't need to know. They don't need to know how to code a website, but they do need to know the right questions to ask at the beginning of that relationship. And they have to understand what it is they want at the end of that relationship. They want autonomy. They want to be tied to that person at the hourly maintenance rate for the rest of their lives right? What if that company goes away? Who do you turn to? Who's going to manage the site if they disappear? So I think just some good planning up front and really taking a look at what we need to get at the end of this relationship is, is critical as well.
0: Absolutely, because the cheapest solution yeah. is not always the least expensive, as you just pointed out, for all of these reasons. Well, we know reasons. that.
1: How long have we heard if it's too good to be true? It probably is. Right. So someone yeah. says, I'll build you a website for 500 bucks. What do you think?
0: It's, you know, <laughs> it's a $500 it's website.
1: <laughs> it's a $500 website. And your company looks like 500 bucks. Yep, exactly. So just exactly. Listen to your, you know, if you, especially startups, you know, they're, so, they're in such a rush. And I think whenever people are under arrest, they're in, in a rush. That's when they make poor decisions and when they cut corners. And I think that try, when you go to build something as important as your website or your social presence, Brushing is, is definitely your enemy because you'll cut corners. You uh, do it because it's done, not because it's done the right way. And I think that a lot of business owners make this mistake. And then they go back and they, they rebuild their website two or three times. And then they think all web designers are evil and that all search engine marketing people are, are horrible and, you know because they didn't stop to say, what do I really need to get out of this? And hopefully the, market, the book will help them. I have a whole chapter in my book called How to Hire and Fire a Web Developer.
0: Well, there you because go. I
1: understand the pain. Yeah, I understand the pain.
0: <laughs> well, and the thing is, too, I think yeah. there's a fear about the pain of disconnect. Like you said, you know, you rely so heavily on yeah. it. and then all of a sudden, you know, the it, the, the clock just keeps keeps ticking. You know, anyhow, yep. I I really yep. want to ask you about your entrepreneurship store because I think it's fascinating that you took mm. this leap to entrepreneurship. Um, you didn't, <laughs> you know, you dreamed about building a business from scratch and you scaled it into a multi-million dollar enterprise. You know, a lot of people dream of doing that. And, you know, it's true, your comment yeah. earlier about the overnight success taking 10 to 15 years. But um, <laughs> still, you did it and it's fabulous. So what advice mm. would you have for the small businesses, the startups that, that are just dreaming what you have already accomplished?
1: Fail fast would be my feedback. Be willing to accept failure quickly. Fire fast, hire slow, which was a great piece of advice I got from another colleague of mine. Um, I think as, as, as startups, we tend to hire people that are maybe relatives or family members or friends. And that makes it very hard to, to hire slow, fire fast, right? You hire fast and then fire slow because you're attached to them. You're friends with them, um, you know. And I think, unfortunately, when, during that process, you know, there's a lot of lessons around I should have I let go of that employee six months ago or I should have invested in our web presence early on and not waited till investors were looking at buying our business and our website look, look looked like a joke. You know, it's like almost like it's, it's by the time you learn the lesson, it's too late, so I guess for, for me, I had a lot of lessons. So I'm not like trying to say this from like some level of of, of know it all, but I'm just saying that I think that if I had to look back and do it differently, I, I would have been gotten more trusted advisors around me. I would have I would have developed a board of directors to really support me through the whole journey. I would have asked less people to be sort of my confidants. I would have one person in finance, one person in marketing, one person maybe in business planning and development. And I would, I would buy them lunch you know, once a quarter, and we would sit down and talk about how to build my business correctly or find a mentor that was willing to do that. And I, I found a great mentor early in my career at Yahoo, and she really took me under her wing and told me about all the ups and downs and backwards and forwards of this business. <laughs> and I even hired a guy when I first started. I met, I met this gentleman, and it was way back. I don't even remember when it was, like in the 90s, sometime in the, in the late 90s. And I met this guy who knew how to do HTML. This was probably 1994, five, maybe. Um, it was right after I got married and I met this guy. It's pretty sketchy. He <laughs> was really nice, but it's like, you know, he lived in his mom's basement and, you know, we went down there and he taught me out to hand code HTML wow. and that, and I was brave enough to, to say, look, I don't understand how to do this, but I'm going to go in and I'm going to go in big. And I learned how to do HTML coding, and that's how I started my first business, building websites, when no one had a website. Like, I was talking people into buying something that they didn't even know they needed. So it was kind of one of those things where I, I got fired a lot in my 20s. I was a horrible employee. And I think that I'm quite proud of that now, because I just kept not listening to my voice that said, you don't need to be here. You don't want to be here. You know, no one's the boss of you. <laughs> I could ask my husband. he suffered from that for many years. Um, but I think it's just about listening to your gut, um, you know, learning fast and making, making decisions quickly so that you can learn fast. And if I, can, if I can save just one little bit of pain by stopping the misunderstanding around SEO and websites and help business owners make that critical decision at the right point, then I'll know that that was, that was well worth my time and what I'm more than happy to be known for at the end of the day.
0: Well there are lots of business lessons here Heather and we, we could talk a whole hour about any one of those but I am really very grateful <laughs> yeah. for you shedding some light in this uh internet marketing area because it's big yeah. it's getting bigger every day and it's it's truly misunderstood mm-hmm. which is why I'm so grateful you're able to sh- shed some light on this for our listeners. Now, before we wrap up here, I do want to ask you about one of your influencers, because you have this fascinating career, clearly a very independent <laughs> woman, I could tell. <laughs> yeah. Perfect for this show, which is why you're here. Who's influenced mm-hmm. you in your career? I think, oh
1: gosh, there's so many people, though. That's like, that's like how do you pick one? Well, just one. Um,
0: We're running out of time here.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Um, if it had to be specifically around my career, it would probably be uh, the gal who recruited me. I was finishing up a, a, a job and a very unhappy job that I was in. And I went to a training and one of the founders of Yahoo actually was running that training when it was back, when it was go to before it was Yahoo. And we really clicked and she like recruited me uh, practically on the spot and said, you need to quit your job. You need to come work for me. You're going to go on the road. You're going to train in front of a bunch of search marketing geeks. who are going to question you and challenge you at, for eight hours a day. And I was like, game on. And I was like, totally, I was fine with that. Like if it was in my control, then I was going to figure out how to do it. And I could own that, but I couldn't own the whole company. I couldn't own my, everyone was making decisions so slowly, right? I couldn't, I couldn't own that process anymore. I wanted to just own my own. So Mary took me under her wing, taught me about the speaking business, talked me about the training business. And that's when I really found my, my, my love was professional speaking and training. And it's all because of her. And I, I have, I just, and she really had no business giving me any time of day. I, I wasn't a friend of hers. I wasn't huge in the search community, but there was just a certain, um, connection for her and I, and it was probably the most profound connection, uh, in my professional career for sure.
0: Fascinating. And, and so fortunate that, you know, serendipity happened like that and then, and that it worked out <laughs> and it just led to bigger and yeah. bigger things. So, right. Heather, It's thank scary you. to forge your own path.
1: You know, I have to say it's scary to forge your own path, but it's, it, it's, a, great, it's, a, great, it's a great way to go if you're up for the challenge.
0: <laughs> it's scary, but it's also exhilarating.
1: Yes, definitely. <laughs> you're
0: not, yes. you're not, you didn't, not sold on that one, <laughs> I
1: don't think. Well, Tony, the one thing that Tony Robbins said when I was doing some work with him, and he said, you know what, if you don't eat problems for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you have no business being a business owner. And I think he's absolutely right. So don't, think, don't go into it for the glory that's for darn sure. (laughs) Go with it because you want to make a difference and you want to blaze your own path, but not because it's glory, you know, not because it's wonderful because it's hard
0: work. Definitely hard work. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But, but worthwhile if you can make a difference and I can see that you're definitely making a difference in your writing in your speaking and the passion that you have for this subject to clarify an an area that is just shrouded in geek speak and HTML and all this mystery that, that people like to keep. So don't put up with that. Don't Don't put up with
1: that. There's, there's better. There's better. You just got to dig a little harder.
0: That's it. Very good. And with your help, we certainly can achieve that and marketing espionage is definitely the way to go. Like I said, we're going to have a link to it on the website on businessconfidentialradio.com. And Heather, this has just been very enlightening. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate having you join us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. You can get more information about today's guest and the show notes on our website, businessconfidentialradio.com and connect with me on social media. I'd love to hear from you. and Stay in touch. Next week, Business Confidential Now with Hannah Hazel-Kelchner will be back with more business information and inside scoop you need to succeed in your business. Till then...